Hey, I put on my headset. Let me see if I can hear you say something. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Nope. Can you hear me over here now? Can you hear me now? How about here now? Can you hear me now? Hello. 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 <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, for some reason. Wonder what's going on here. What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> awesome. Well, good morning. Uh... Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Yep. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas. To all you mamas. All you queen bees out there. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, oh, actually, let's, uh, let's go through here real quick and give a shout out to our newest patron members, our Patreon members out there. Um. I may have already done this one last week because this one came in right at the cusp. Uh, it came in on Saturday, and I don't remember if it came in before or after the recording, but it was probably after. So I want to give a shout-out to Sebastian M., Paul M., Alexander M., and Michael Bob. Thank you all so very much for going through and joining us on Patreon. That is absolutely awesome. And hopefully you guys all received your welcome emails and uh, my little video messages that I send out to everybody. So, again, thank you guys so much for that. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, we do. We really do. And uh, if there's anything you want to know, we'll, 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 I know John can tell you, and I'll BS you if, you don't know, if I don't know. <laughs> well, that was actually um, one of the things that Michael was saying is that he was kind of on the fence on whether or not uh, he wanted to, you know, just continue doing the the free episodes every Monday or if he wanted to join on Patreon. And he ended up having a question and sent it into one of our social media, um, basically messenger feed kind of thing, either through Facebook or Instagram. And I just happened to be messing around on the phone, saw it popped up. And so I immediately responded to him and we chatted back and forth for a little bit. And I answered his questions and he was like, well, heck, man, you just you made my decision for me right there. I'm going to go ahead and, and see what it's all about and jump over there. And I was like, oh, yay, cool. That's awesome. But, you know, I mean, we, we haven't done a listener's questions episode for a little while for everybody. But just um, for any of you new listeners who may be joining us and, and maybe this is the first episode that you've ever heard. Um, number one, keep in mind that this is, you know, several episodes into the second season. So there is an entire first season out there. If you go back to episode one, you'll learn who Ken and I are, kind of what we got into this for and, and what it's all about. And then that first season literally walks you all the way through your initial, I think I might want to get bees, all the way up through your first winter when you're tucking your first hive of bees in for the winter. It tells you everything you need to know through there. There's over 60 listenable episodes uh, including bonus content and all kinds of other goofy things that are out there in that first season. So there's a whole plethora of information out there. And if you're just getting started in beekeeping, that is absolutely what I would recommend you do. Go ahead and go back to the very beginning 
and listen all the way up through now. Um, and uh, for those of you, we, we did get one review from an individual, which I thought was kind of fun and, and uh, funny. Um, and I debated whether or not I was going to say anything about it. And then I decided, ah, to hell with it. But we did have one individual who decided that they were going to be the first ever person to rate us a very low rating. And it was because they don't like us talking about Patreon. They feel like uh, we are, quote unquote, sellouts because we started doing Patreon. And um, I would really hate to say it, but I think you might want to go back and look up the definition of sellout because they said they would prefer that we actually get sponsored by a major beekeeping like supplier and do commercials for them which technically would then allow them to potentially control the content that we put out, which that's what makes you a sellout. Patreon is a way for our listeners who enjoy the show to support us so that we can continue having control of the show and continue doing what we want and putting out the content that we've been doing. So it's kind of not the same thing (laughs) and it's not a forced thing. And, you know, it is, it's not selling a product. It's actually just, there is more hive jive out there, more episodes, more information that you can find if you want to join on Patreon, but you don't have to do that. Um, But I thought the thing that was the real kicker was that after complaining about all this stuff, they went back in and they were like, that's a good podcast, has great beekeeping information. And I'm like, really? But you gave us a low rating, even though you had to say that because you didn't like us saying the P word all the time. So uh, my suggestion for that is if you guys don't want to hear all the kudos and shout outs, um, skip it. (laughs) just fast forward five or 10 minutes in through the episode and then listen to your beekeeping content for everybody else out there. We get plenty of of feedback from everyone, especially people that have joined and signed up on there, you know, that they really enjoy hearing their name on the air. They like hearing us talk about them, tell their stories, things like that. And for somebody who is, you know, helping support us in a financial sense, the absolute very least we can do is give you a shout out on the show on live air so everybody can hear it and say thank you for doing that. We greatly appreciate it. So, yeah. So that's all I got to say about that. Um. <laughs> you know, if if we had a one of the big major bee houses or bee companies, bee suppliers as a as a sponsor. Then we're gonna have. Then we couldn't be talking about. You know, we would be talking about Langstroth, you know, or Langs, or you know, that kind of, or whatever they sold. Uh, would we be talking about pine boxes? Would we be talking cypress boxes? Would we be talking? Right. You know, there's so much that that when you have a major sponsor that is a a seller of goods. You're going to talk about their goods because that's what they're paying you for. That's right. You're going to you're going to promote whatever item it is that they have said they want you to promote. And it may not necessarily be something that you or I agree with, but that's what we're told we've got to do. And so that's why we've avoided that and why we decided to go the the route of Patreon and, and do it that way is because, you know, like uh, back in the first season, we did have some people reach out to us who are the makers of the AZ hive. And it is one of the Slovenian hives where um, it's kind of built like a Langstroth, but it's in a cabinet and you open it up from the back and you pull the frames out like you were pulling books off of a shelf instead of pulling them out of the top. And they wanted us to feature their thing on the show and wanted us to go through and 
you know, dedicate an episode to it. And they wanted to pay for a sponsorship to do so. And we countered with it and we said, hey, you know, we would really be interested in going through and, and taking a look at this item and seeing what it's all about. So instead of you paying us to do it, how about you send us one of your hive setups We'll go through and put it together, and then we can do what we do. We'll talk about it on the show. We'll tell the pros, the cons, our favorite aspects of it, how well it works in our environment, and then everybody can get a realistic, honest opinion of what that does. Well, apparently they didn't want an honest opinion, and they didn't like the concept of us being able to say whatever we thought about it, truly, um, because that was the end of it. Negotiations were off. They no longer wanted to have anything to do with it. And that, I think, in one aspect kind of is a little bit telling as well, because if you do have a product that you really like and, and you really believe in, then you should not be afraid of putting it out there for somebody else to potentially scrutinize it. You know, and I mean, we talk about we've got we've got the Langstrauss and we've got the top bars. Um, we've talked about flow hives. We've given overviews of war hives. Uh, I talked briefly about going through and building uh, one of those Sam Comfort uh, Comfort Hive version type hives. And so, you know, we talk about all kinds of different stuff, but that's the point is to give everybody a good idea of what's really going on and what we like and what we don't like. And the great thing about beekeeping is just because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you and vice versa. Just because I really like something doesn't mean you have to. And just because something that you really like and works great for your situation doesn't mean that it has to be something that I do, you know, and, and that's why we want to give all the information we can and make it readily available so that people can make their own decisions and go out there and kind of, you know, learn and explore for themselves and do kind of like Max is doing, you know, do some experiments and get in there and, and do trial and error and see what happens. And we're just kind of here is that, uh, voice of consciousness to guide you along the way <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> so have you slowed down yet? You, you put out bees all morning yesterday and today or, or yesterday and our pack, not packages, nukes. You've been delivering nukes. Yeah, I was, I spent all day yesterday delivering nukes. Um, and it was, it was pretty much an all day affair and it, uh, it was a long day. It was a fun day because I got to see a lot of different people and um, we always go through and we do the full installation with everybody. So we go through every single nuke and, you know, we go frame by frame or bar by bar and we put everything into the colony. We look for the queen. We make sure that we can find everything that we need. And that way we know that when we leave, you know, they've, they've got everything that they needed and there's not anything strange or, or out of place. Um, I did a couple of consultations while I was out doing that with some hives that people already had and, and went through. And it was a really long day, though. When I got home, I was probably about a mile from the house and I could feel like my energy level just draining away. And uh, when I got home, I hadn't even taken up my bee suit. I came in and I sat down for a second. and I was like, oh, that was a really bad idea because I was pretty sure I could fall asleep just sitting there. <laughs> you wasn't covered in honey? Uh, I only ended up at the very last stop, which luckily was the very, very last one. There was uh, one hive that I had to go through and take a look at that. Well, there were two of them there that were existing, and then they had got two additional nukes. And one of the hives, a frame had been forgotten to be put back into the hive. And so it was a 
10 frame box with only nine frames in it, but the it wasn't that they were equally spaced. It was like one through eight and then a space and then nine. And so the bees filled that void with a new comb, obviously, and uh, they drew it out perfectly in between all the other frames, but it was attached to the inner cover. And so when I, well, actually it was attached to the box, the frame on the box above it. So when I picked up that box, it ripped half of that in half, half of that in half. That was a bit redundant, um, but it tore the comb in half and uh, the top half of it was capped honey. So we went through and cut that out and put it into a container so that the client could have it. And then the, the bottom half of it was all drone comb. So we went ahead and just took it out and uh, tossed that. So, but yeah, it was a very long day for sure. I know when me and Max, you, we sent you the pictures and all the video. I, well, we didn't video any of that when we tore the tree out. But we were covered in honey. I know you 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 do extractions all the time. But that was the <laughs> yeah. first time we did an extraction. Well, a big extraction, and the bulldozer went over, pushed the tree over, and there was a cloud of bees come out of there that was some kind of upset. We're over there, and they're up in our face, and and. Max got stung three times. I don't know why I did not get stung at all, and that's unusual. And but uh, yeah, I can see what you talk when you talk about extractions. How you go laughing at us because I'm telling you about all the mean bees. Now, when you do what you do, that's mean bees. Now, when a bulldozer pushes a tree over, it hits the ground <laughs> and goes flat and busts up, and then then. And then we take a hammer. Uh, I didn't bring a chainsaw because you said chainsaws really make them mad. I brought a, a axe and we cut it open. You know, I noticed that beating on that trunk uh -huh. seemed to have made no. It made those bees seem to settle. I'm wondering if they thought it was thunder. Well, so there, there is um. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing. It goes back to there's a, an older, I don't know what you want to call it, like old wives tale, urban legend, you know, type thing uh, about what they called tining or tanging. And it's where you could walk around and like in the olden days, they would use a metal pot and a wooden spoon and they would just beat the hell out of that pot with that spoon in kind of a rhythmic uh, motion. And what it would end up doing is it would cause the bees to come down and settle. And so if you had a swarm of bees that you were going through and trying to catch, you could go through and do this and the bees would actually come to the noise and they could basically direct them to a new hive that they wanted them to move into and get them to land around the person doing the noise or around the hive and then maybe go into it. And one of the speculations was that the noise made the bees think that it's thunder and so therefore they would condense but i don't know that that i mean it's a good concept but i don't know if it's true because if it was why wouldn't they condense where they were as opposed to going towards the source of the sound right mm -hmm. so i've been i've had several different instances where i was out at the main apiary and I had two wooden bars from top bars and I was knocking bees off of them 
or I was, you know, doing other stuff with them, but I was banging them around and, you know, I'd be like, whack, whack, whack. And all of a sudden there'd be all these bees around me. And then when I would stop and, and kind of stop making noise, they would all go away. And then I'd do it again and they would all come back. And I realized there was actually a swarm over in one of the bushes not far away. And when I would start beating on those sticks, the swarm would actually disperse and come to me as opposed to, you know, they were already condensed. They weren't flying around. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've had little experiences with it before and I thought it was kind of entertaining, but um, I've never actually seen one in flight and done that and tried to get them to redirect and come back and stuff. That would be the real challenge, the the thing to see kind of how that would work out and how interesting that might be, because it would be kind of a fun thing potentially to do. All I know is that tree, you know, I told you it had 50 or 60,000 bees in it, and it did. There was comb. Well, one of the pictures we sent you is that one piece of comb that I'm holding that's almost as tall as I am, and I'm one. And I mean, there was there was comb in there. It was ten feet long. Yeah, you said that comb in the picture actually broke off, didn't it? Yeah, it was broke off. Yeah. Yeah. So it was longer originally. So they were basically the cavity almost ran the whole span of the tree, and uh, they had comb from top to bottom. <laughs> from top to bottom, we never found the queen. We found brood. We put it in a box. Put the left the box right there. And we never found the queen. Uh, we went back the next morning. They were clumped up up in one burrow, and we figured that's where the queen was. So Max, uh, my son, he says, well, Dad, I says, well, we're either going to, if we go in there and cut that up and try to knock the queen into the ba- into the box or we spray a little bit of Swarm Commander in there and put a little lemon oil in there and lemongrass oil and we walk off and call it good and we come back in two or three days and we look and see what we got and that's what we did because we had we knew we had a norther coming in that was going to cool off a little bit at night it wasn't going to get really cold it's just going to get in the 50s had hard wind blowing so uh, we're going to go look this evening and see what the bees did and if they came back to the box that's wonderful if they didn't yeah, just write that and up to one that we lost. So, but I I thought you guys were gonna take the vac out there, the B vac. Well, I did. I got it all running, but uh, I never got there. <laughs> I I st- if they're there, I got the vac. I got it all going. I didn't get there with the vac, and uh, so I just got my uh, my electric. What do you call it? inverter? Hook it to the battery. Just got it in. Well, I went to Northern and got it yesterday so i didn't have the one that i had didn't work so i had to go Uh, pick up a new one so i got that yesterday so we're going to do as soon as i get off the air this morning and see if we can if they're still there we're going to suck them up and put them in the box and dump them in there i don't have a don't have a generator so we got to do it that way i didn't really think about that um how that uh, was going to actually work. Cause I guess I take that for granted because I do have a generator that I take with me when we go do those kinds of things. So we can run the shop backs and power tools and all that kind of stuff off of it. But yeah, that does help if you have electricity. That's a, <laughs> that does tend to make your vac do better. <laughs> it does. But uh, the, vo- the box, we're going to have video of this cause the box we got, you know, you've seen the box and then we got that leaf blower sitting on top of it. 
And once I built the baffles to just the holes, I know you told me you just barely want to feel the wind sucking in through the vacuum hose just bare on your face. And that's where we got it. And I mean, it's it's ready. It, it is ready and puts it in the in a box basically the size of a eight frame medium. And that's uh, what we carry them in. And I think it's going to be great. We'll find out. Then got we sit it on top of eight frames, slide the lid out, thump them, and they fall in. And uh, yeah, that's hopefully we can get the queen. I, if we don't, I guess uh, hopefully we got them all, and we do whatever we do, and hopefully they stay. And if they don't, if they stay, we'll put some brood in there with our eggs and larvae from another hive, and let them raise a queen and. Or we'll put a queen in there with them. One or the other. <laughs> there you go. One always, or the other. Always a plan. It's always something, huh? <laughs> on another thing, uh, right now, we have something going on right now that's the the news media uh, has picked up and started blowing on. That's murder hornets. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> um. So first and foremost, the, the one thing that we need to take away from this right now is everybody needs to stop using the damn word murder because it is called, it is actually called the Asian giant hornet or based on the coloration form, the Japanese giant hornet. These insects have been around forever on the Asian continent and they have caused a bit of a nuisance in China. Um, there have been a, a decent handful of deaths actually in China from the hornets, but they have been around for a very, very, very long time. They are not a new thing. And all of the news hype and everything that's going on right now is actually based on something from 2019. So it's not even that they found them yesterday. They found them last year. And, you know, it's like, is it potentially an issue yeah, kind of like varroa mites are an issue, and so is tropolalaps, which is another mite that's even smaller and way, 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 way nastier that could eventually get here and probably will eventually get here. You know, so there's a lot of these things out there like that. But um, for the researchers in Washington to dub it murder hornet so that it could be more sensationalized and get more media attention, um, that kind of pisses me off because... It, it shines a light on something that is, it, it could potentially be a nuisance down the road or a problem down the road, but it is not a problem today. And if you go back and you look at the, the habitat that these things are in, they are, they really like, uh, like kind of the foot of the mountains, the lower mountain regions, and they like forests. And they've grown up in a continent where, you know, it is, they have extremes of weather and it gets cold and they go through their normal cycles and stuff. So that would mean just right there. It doesn't mean that they can't adapt and change, but right there, that means that the entire center of the United States, you know, the breadbasket and the Great Plains probably are never going to have to worry about these ever for the simple fact that it's not what those specific hornets prefer for their native climate. You know, Seattle, Washington, Oregon, 
areas around in that, that vicinity, yes, you guys definitely may have to worry about it if they cannot be caught and contained before they continue to spread. And as Jurassic Park taught us so well, nature always finds a way. So even though they haven't seen any for a while, that doesn't mean that they're not some out there hiding. Um, but it is, you know, it is one of those things that, yes, it can be a problem. Um, we can go through and we can talk about what they actually do and, and kind of some of their cycles and things as well, if you want to. Yeah, we can. Or, or do we really want to scare our listeners and tell them about the new Varora mite? <laughs> the triple lapse. <laughs> yeah, um, we will actually, I'm not going to go too far into that one because there are a couple of researchers out there who we are working to get on the show um, as soon as some of the coronavirus chaos settles down, um, who can talk about it in so much greater detail. And I would rather save that for them because I think that would be just an amazing topic to have them talk about. And it's literally their field of research and study. So there, but yeah, there are far worse things out there at the moment. Um, we already deal with, well, we deal with the miniature version of it. Um, we deal with the yellow jackets and there's actually three types of yellow jackets. Um, there's the two that we deal with here primarily. And then there's also, there's a third one that's not yellow. It's white. It's the bald face Hornet. And that is actually just a white and black yellow jacket instead of a yellow and black yellow jacket. Um, they do each of the three types do make varying sizes of nests and in different types of locales, um, where they would prefer to make those nests. But at the certain time of year, um, usually for us, it's during the summer dearth when there's not a lot of food available, all of a sudden, yellow jackets become a huge problem, and they're going to go through, and they're going to predate on your, your colony. They're going to try to catch the bees as they're coming out, and they chew them up, and they take them back to their nest, and they feed them to the growing larvae and the, and the new queens that are going to be raised that will then overwinter for that actual wasp colony. And these giant hornets are kind of the same way. They really love honey. But they really love the protein and they spend the first half of their cycle gathering meat and protein and the last half of their cycle gathering carbohydrates and sugars. And so, yes, they're going to come and they may find a hive. And if they do, they go through and they mark that hive. And then that tells the rest of the colony how to find it. And then they'll go in there and they can decimate a colony. And but at the same time. They already in Asia, you know, they've got different things over there. They, they've they come up with screens that you can put on, which helps kind of deflect the hornet because the hornet wants to go straight for the opening. And that allows the bees to be able to get out and find a way out without the hornet being able to catch them as easily. They have traps, um, two different types of traps. One of them is an entrance, basically, uh, almost kind of how we use for the robber screen that you can put on the front and it changes where the bees have to go out. But it allows the hornet to come in. The bees can fly straight up and get out of it, but the hornet can't. When the hornet tries to go up, it traps it into a, a little container. And then from that container, they're actually stuck in there and they can't get back out. Um, one of the other ones is like a bait trap where they put specific things in there that would lure the hornets in and they fly in there and then they can't get back out of that trap either. And so, you know, there's different ways that you can go through and try to combat these. And uh, in, in some regards, it's far easier to combat the hornet than it is the mite, because the mite is an insect already in your colony on your bees, and your bee is an insect, and it's really hard to treat and kill an insect that's on an insect without killing the other insect. So there's a lot more things out there that we should be concerned about and should be focusing on pesticide use, the neonicotinoids, you know, chemicals. 
the lack of natural resources, the decimation of habitat that is out there that's causing all of our native pollinators to have issues. All of these things are far more important and far greater and would still be getting the attention that they need had somebody not put the giant M word on the beginning of Hornet. <laughs> so um, not that I have an opinion. <laughs> okay. And, and then, you know, also we didn't even mention that in Asia, the bees have come up with their own way of controlling them. They clump they on have. them and they start vibrating their wings or, or their muscles create 117 degree temperature the hornet's dead yeah um i don't remember the specific temperature range of it but i do remember the specifics as far as it is literally the honeybee itself can withstand a two degree temperature increase over the hornet and so they have used that as a defensive mechanism in asia where they will literally ball up on these hornets when they come in they clump up over the top of them, hundreds of bees pile on them, and they all start vibrating, just like you said. And they raise that temperature up there just one degree below what would kill them, but one degree above what the hornet can survive. And it literally roasts and bakes the hornet and kills it. And then they throw its body out. They go out there and they find all the little scent markers and they scrub all those scent markers off their hive and cover them up so that the other hornets can't find them. And then they go about their merry little day. And that doesn't mean that our bees will do that. Our bees do have the ability to do it, but it is a learned and evolved trait, just like hygienic behavior in a bee when they go through and clean themselves for mites. You know, that is a learned and evolved trait, and it takes time for that to happen. So our honeybees will find ways to, you know, to survive, and they will find ways to combat these and fight them off, just like they combat and fight off. You know, like we said, the, the yellow jackets and things that we already deal with here in the in the United States. So, I mean, yes, it's going to be a nuisance. It's going to be a pain in the butt. It'll be something that maybe some of us at some time may have to deal with. But that sometime is going to be down the road. And right now, you know, the best thing that you can do is if you do find one or you think you see one, you need to contact your local agricultural agencies and let them know immediately that you think you've seen it, where it's at, help them find it, catch it. Well, I would say catch it if you can, but at the same time, maybe don't. Um, because if you do piss them off, um, their stinger is longer than a regular honeybee stinger. It's actually longer than a bumblebee stinger. And it can and will absolutely sting you through your suit. Um, the amount of venom that it injects is actually more than most wasps inject. And... It only takes an average of about 30 to 40 to potentially kill somebody who is not actually allergic. Whereas with honeybees, it can take, you know, 500 to 1,000 to kill somebody who is not allergic. So I would not necessarily go out there, you know, with a tennis racket and try to fight them off necessarily, um, you know, but notify your local authorities that you have seen something and let them come out there so that they can contain it. They can canvas the areas. They can try to find them and help stop the spread of it before it does get to the rest of the United States. That would be the best case scenario out there for that. But, um, you know, outside of that, let's uh, let's focus on some things that are a little bit more important right now, like, um, oh, I don't know. Wearing face masks in public so that you don't get other people sick or you don't accidentally get sick and, you know, figuring out how to increase the amount of forage that's available for our bees so that they are healthier and stronger and can combat diseases and other pests and, and whatnot, you know, like 
those are the things really right now that we need to be focused on, not a news article that came out in 2019 that is just now making its circuit around the internet and around media and, and whatnot, you know? So, um, yeah. <laughs> want to have, make uh, people talk and say you live in a small town, maybe in New Zealand or Australia, walk into a store in your bee suit with your mask on. And then when they look at you say, Hey, I'm trying to, I'm protecting you. Um, so I, I have always gotten funny looks whenever I go out in public and I'm in my bee suit. And a lot of times it's usually like the post office is the, it seems to be the number one place I show up like that because as I'm coming back in from the main apiary, I actually drive kind of, you know, within a block of where the post office is on my way home. So I will stop in there. That's kind of my routine. On the way back from the apiary, I stop in the post office, check the mail, and then head on to the house. And I usually still have my suit on some days when I do that. And, you know, you you always get funny looks. But now, now in the age of COVID-19 and the coronavirus, um, when people glance over and they see somebody in a head-to-toe white suit, I think they immediately think that it's one of the Tyvek suits and it is, you know, like disease control. And they're like, oh, my God, something must be going on over there at that house. They probably have the disease. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just bees. It's okay. It's just bees. <laughs> yeah. Times are crazy, man. Times are definitely crazy for sure. Um, there's a lot of random stuff out there and, you know, we just got to all be safe and, and try to do our best at what we can. Mm-hmm. And then, and then also now you've been putting out nukes and I put out 13, let's see, no, I put out 11 packages. Now I've thought this over. I have 11 packages and we did two splits. So I have 13 packages and John says, Ken, they're not packages anymore. What are they now, John? They're colonies. So I've got 13 colonies, right? You have the 13 colonies. Yeah, I've got the 13 <laughs> colonies. <laughs> That's all I'll do. I'll, I'll quit there before I get in trouble. Well, no, I mean, I, I have some questions now. Um, so, you know, now that you've got 13 original colonies kind of thing, um, we, we could have... I don't know. This could, it could, there could be some repercussions or consequences for this, you some know, because, <laughs> well, yeah, there could be rebellions. Um, there are, you know, some of the original colonies vanished off the face of the earth and they have no idea what happened to them. Um, <laughs> like there's so many other things that this could lead to since how they're now the 13 colonies. Uh, y- yeah, <laughs> you should be careful. <laughs> uh, we got 25 colonies now. Now. This is yeah. true, but these are the new 13. Yeah, these are the new 13. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap everything up here on the main segment for everybody, um, hopefully, for those of you up in the northern states, you guys just had a polar vortex swipe down through the eastern half of the United States, and it is uh, there was snow in a lot of places, and it's May. It's the end of the first week of May, and you guys had snow Temperatures have been an average of 35 to 45. Um, spring has not been anywhere in sight, and I, I feel for all of you out there. But hopefully this was the last one, and your spring will be quickly approaching. Uh, for the rest of us down in the southern half, hopefully our nectar flow is going to pick up and start. I have started seeing uh, liquid in the colonies and in a good amount. Um, we did not feed them last week. So when we went back out and checked this week and we saw liquid in there, we know that that is actually something that they're finding and bringing in on their own. 
And there are flowers out there. We just need them to produce. And, and hopefully, fingers crossed, our colonies can still rebound and we can still end up getting an, a, a, an amazing nectar flow. That would be great. Um, one of the things, though, that is really weird, another gentleman of my, um, that I know that's a friend of mine that does removals and I were discussing, um, it seems to be very odd, but in the hill country, so in Austin, we're right on what is called the Escarpment Pass, which is a fault line, and it almost mimics I-35 kind of as it goes down through central Texas in a certain section of it. And on the east side of 35 is flat prairie land. You know, there's some hills and stuff to it, but it's it's mainly prairie land. On the west side of 35, where the Escarpment Pass actually starts, transitions into the Texas Hill Country. And it is all granite and rock and, you know, big hills and, and all this kind of stuff. And some of those areas have a harder time with nectar and, and nectar production. And we can have people out in those zones where there'll be a little valley in a pocket and they do wonderful. And then somebody just three miles away has to feed their bees constantly. And the weird thing though, is that for whatever reason, the certain plants that grow out there, when the conditions on the prairie land are bad and something affects our nectar flow, that same condition seems to make the stuff in the hill country do better. And then suddenly they start having a nectar flow. So there's all these, you know, dynamics to the the flora and fauna in our different regions that can trigger different things. And so, you know, it it, it again, basically, I just want to be like, I, I want to say, I hope that everybody does end up having a great year this year. Hopefully nature lines out and uh, Mother Nature cooperates and we end up getting decent, if not amazing, nectar flows. I do know that some of our listeners, um, David, for instance, he is in his second year and he had some struggles in his first year. And this year he's already got an entire box full of honey that is working on being capped and he's added extra boxes on there. And, you know, and, and so he lives in uh, Mississippi. And so it's like some places are doing okay and are doing great. You know, some places here in Texas are struggling a little bit, but we're still hoping that we can, we can come out of that and kind of recover. And then other places up North haven't even had an opportunity yet. You know, there were people that, got their packages and the forecast for that week was going to be 35 and 40 degrees every day. And they're reaching out to us and they're saying, what do we do? What do we do? Like, how do I install my package when it's not even warm enough for me to be thinking about opening a hive, you know? And so there's been all these challenges, you know, climate change guys, <laughs> like there's been some really weird weather out there and uh, it is, we have to adapt and kind of go along with it just like everything else. Yep, just like we're going to have to do the murder hornet. That <laughs> says stop using murder. Giant Asian hornet. Call it by its appropriate name. It is, yes, it's technically it's the Asian giant hornet, but even giant Asian hornet is better than murder hornet. Um, we don't, oh, uh, we, but, but we don't want to call him the green hornet. Well, no, um, we don't want to do that. They look like a yellow jacket. <laughs> yeah, they're well. They're they're orange. <laughs> what high um, schools are going to call their team the Murder Hornets? We're the Murder Hornets. Yeah, I mean, hey, that could be a new thing now. School football. That's a high school football team's name right there. The Murder Hornets. The Murder Hornets. <laughs> that uh, that sounds that sounds highly appropriate. I mean, I, I think that's probably it, right on the nose. Uh oh well. Anyhow. Hopefully that uh, that gave you guys a little bit of information on stuff and, uh, you know, you know a little bit more now about the giant Asian hornet 
and kind of what to expect or what not to expect. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So that, uh, that'll be the, the main educational aspect for this episode is don't call them murder hornets. Um, don't give them more credit than they need, (laughs) but anyhow, uh, hope you all do well, continue to be safe and stay healthy. And we will talk to you guys next week. And y'all be good and do the safe social distancing thing because we don't want nobody to get sick. Y'all stay healthy and stay well, family. Absolutely. Be good, be safe, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.